0: And I didn't believe in him because he was a crutch for these times. I I believed in him because he would make me do the right thing when I wanted to do the wrong. He would make me take the harder road or give me the strength to take the harder road because it was the right thing, not the easier thing. Come and stay a while amid the... British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge and the dreamer in me while she's here to stay. So you're very welcome. Friends, Romans countrymen lend me your ears i don't know if this is sticking this particular intro but i'm i'm going to keep going with it into until, until someone says just stop that just stop it now um hello lovely to be back with you um i do hope the last podcast that we did on grief was a useful um and Poignant moment for those that needed to hear it. Um, some of you messaged and said it was uh, just what they needed to hear. So I'm so I'm so glad. I'm so grateful that um, we're hearing right on what to share with you. One of the things I wanted to go after today was actually um, how to love God through the grief, and I wanted to show a little bit more about my journey um, in how I did pretty much a miserable job. I'm certainly not going to be preaching from a pulpit that says, this is how you do it, kids. Um, I can tell you how not to do it, Um, and that's through my own experience of when I lost my father. Now, some of you may know my story already, and that was that I had actually been in a a sort of religious upbringing all my life, um, and when my father died, um, I'm an only child, so when my father died, um, a very big part of me died at least that's what, that's what it felt when I was, um, going through the journey. And my father died very suddenly. Um, he'd actually died of ischemic heart disease. So if we look back, we could actually see certain signs, uh, the swelling, the lethargy, the feeling very tired all the time. Um, but we certainly didn't think that this, these were his final days. Um, and my mum went to go and wake him up, um, after an afternoon nap that my dad had had. And, uh, Lo and behold, she couldn't wake him up. And I was on the way to a party in, of course, in Oxford. Um, and I got the phone call halfway down the M40 on the way to London. So it was basically a, a phone call I wasn't expecting. Very, very sudden. like I said in the last podcast, we're not wired for death, we're wired for life. And so my entire body went into complete shock. Um, I almost laughed, actually, when I got the news because I thought it was a joke. Um, And yet, as I was travelling back and having to change cars and switch over different cars that I wasn't going to use, but now I had to use to go back home, by the time I got home, the body had been removed, the police had done their questioning, and my father's body was now in a morgue uh, in for questioning and um, an inquest because of the suddenness of his death. So for those sort of 10, 12 days, I did a good job of crying. I did an awful lot of uh, uh, sort of conversations with people that... um, were very kind and very loving some people were crying for you um because you sometimes felt like you were completely spent i certainly didn't want to eat i didn't want to sleep if i did sleep it was a sort of sweet numbingness um for a temporary period and then i'd wake up in the morning and realize reality was that he was no longer coming back for a while i kind of thought that um he was on holiday. <laughs> part of that denial thing, part of that bargaining thing, um in grief, um, but every time i I tried to process with the Lord, I would feel nothing. I would pray, and I would have no sense of comfort. I'd read scriptures talking about call to me, all those who are weary, and I would call to him as the weary one <laughs> and not get anything back and I remember sitting down. In this tiny study in the back room, where all of the photos of my father and my family, and all the history, all the books and things that they would read, and they were potentially even in, um, were surrounding me as I was praying to the Lord for some sign, some kind of feeling or sense that He was even there. And I waited and waited and waited for the sun to go down, and I felt nothing, absolutely nothing. And I thought, "Gosh, I've led a sort of life of dedication to You, Lord," and if I can be honest, looking back, I was very religious, but I had zero relationship. And in my relationship, most of the time, I would pray to the Lord in the hope that um, he would give me something or, or or help me with something. I was often going to him a bit like a vending machine rather than any kind of intimate or meaningful relationship that he'd so long to have with me. So understandably, by the time it got to me actually having a relationship with him, I... Uh, I I just started to get onto the sort of precipice of discovering this was a a relationship the the Lord had sort of given me as a choice, not as a demand or a command to obey him. Um, And all of my life had been very, very religious up until this point. I was misquity-two-shoes working my way with perfectionism like you wouldn't believe. And yet the one thing that I never wanted to be taken away from me had been taken away from me at the age of 61. And in this podcast, you're going to hear me cry quite a bit, not because I've not healed from this journey. I think time doesn't always heal. I think it accommodates. But when I look back at, um, this journey, sometimes it moves me an awful lot. Not so much actually the loss of my father these days, but actually just the kindness of the Lord in this, in this journey, because I was very cruel towards him. And this is why. About two years into, um, the, from the from the day of the my father's funeral, the same person that came up to me, and la- last week podcast, I said that someone had um, come up to me saying, "Is anyone crossed the street yet? The same person turned to a friend of mine and said she's going to break in about 18 months to two years' time. And I didn't understand what he meant by that, but he was also a very intelligent being and was very astute to, when we put on um, airs and graces, to say we're doing great and to be strong and to be powerful and to... And to even live by the truth that we've been given as opposed to the factual narrative that seems to be surrounding us. And so I was fighting to be strong, to be valiant, to be a warrior-like in this grief. But slowly but surely, at the dead of night, I wasn't feeling anything in prayer. And the sun goes down on that particular day and I'm waiting for something and nothing happens. And slowly but surely, bit by bit, and it doesn't feel like a complete change of my faith in one setting other than I'd actually gone through um, a focused dedication to try and be faithful, even if I'm not feeling anything or or gaining anything from the Lord. But I was also very confused as to why this God that so, apparently so-called protects me and takes care of me and wants to see my life prosper had not protected my father from death. In the same oncoming months, another two male friends on motorbike accidents, another two uncles... Um, die in different causes, all very young. And um, by the end of this sort of 18-month period of just sheer tragedy and grief, I'm talking about it, I'm verbally processing, I think I'm doing a great job in just trying to keep breathing and just to keep focused on on the day ahead. But I just filled my pain with an awful lot of noise. I got very, very busy. Um, and some of the coping mechanisms that I had... Um, Because I wasn't feeling any comfort in prayer, I stopped praying. It was actually less painful for me to not pray than to pray and to feel no comfort at all. So I stopped praying. That was one step. The next step was I didn't feel hopeful about my future anymore without my dad. All these things of which I sort of dreamed about him walking me down the aisle with my future husband or seeing all these things to take place. I was 23 when he died, so all these things that I had to sort of say goodbye to. And I'd so longed to start dreaming and dreaming. And in the process of that, my sweet Lord wasn't even giving me visions or dreams in which to sort of follow through. And so I stopped dreaming and I stopped feeling hopeful. I didn't feel massively known by my community because most of them hadn't really gone through death. Not not many of my 23-year-old friends had actually... Experience griefs. So they didn't know how to take care of me. And that wasn't their fault, but I did isolate for a time. And if I did go out, my gosh, I had this raucous parties and loud, loud noise just to suffocate my thoughts. Um, I remember once watching a, a TV drama that had a, um, a, a female lead in it, and something really dreadful takes place to her. And she gets in the car and she turns up the radio. And Volume So loud. She said, and her line is, I'm doing this so I don't have to think. Mm -hmm. And there was something about noise that was so prevalent to me in the journey of moving forward that um, I thought if I just keep everything loud and busy and extreme, then someday, somehow, this pain will just lift. This grief will go and I'll just become successful, (laughs) whatever that looks like. But life got real noisy and about two years into this journey of grief and these five, four or five deaths that had taken place, um, I ended up having a, a coffee with a philosopher. And I'd hoped that he would just logistically give me reasons why to believe in God. And in the journey, I, I was hearing him mention all these diff- different reasons, but nothing was really hitting. And he said to me, I actually feel like you're supposed to redeem what you believe to be God, and to just throw it out the window. And I think perhaps you were living a second-hand faith because your parents believed in God, and I'm not sure you actually believe it yourself. It was a very brave move of this particular philosopher to tell me this, but it was probably one of the best ones. And I swear it's not an advised thing to say to anyone in this journey unless you really directly hear from the Lord. But for the next eighteen months, I chose to be an atheist and a very angry one at that. I was trying to find and discover the meanings as to why God didn't exist. Um, I was reading Hitchens, Dawkins, all of the all of the literature that people so often try to use against me today. <laughs> I was using, and um, and I think I found some something sort of wet the appetite of uh, not having to believe in heaven. Or having to live on a crutch of tomorrow, which of course is what I'm often criticized for by my atheist friends, is that this is just a crutch. But as I've gone in my life and developed a spiritual development with the Lord, and obviously as I came back to Him, I discovered this amazing, um, beautiful component of God, which, which is so rarely shown or displayed unless you really go seeking for it. Um, And that was the kindness of Jesus Christ. And I just remember looking back at the Gospels, hearing about this kindness, hearing about the importance of who his father was. And I saw Christ go through so much persecution that I recognized that his hope was on his father, not on his circumstances or the facts around him. And one of the things that I realized I'd done is I'd, I'd placed my hope and my belief in God dependent on my circumstances and my grief. Um, or the, the lack of it if God is around and there are too many biblical stories to reflect the times where people have gone through grief where they have lost someone very dear to them and the difference between those biblical characters and what I had done was I had expected the circumstances to turn out the way that I wanted them to as opposed to trust and lean not on my own understanding and the reason why I never heard from God in the prayer closet, the reason why I never heard from God when I was trying to reach out to him was because I was so angry and I wasn't being honest about it. I was so angry at the loss of him. I was so angry at the loss of things that had been robbed by me. And I noticed so many times that people have done this. They blame God for the healing not coming through. They blame God for not protecting their spouse, their partner, their child, their um, parent from death that they question the goodness of God. Now, I was too scared to question the goodness of God, so I left him altogether. (laughs) And I don't know whether that makes any sense, and maybe there are some people listening that, that can completely relate to this. But it wasn't until I actually became very honest about my own feelings and decided to live authentically with my own heart that I finally heard again from God and Jesus and these moments that I just thrown out and tried to suffocate with noise the pain essentially of grief was being suffocated by noise but how many of you understand the heart will just not will not um, give up hope for just trying to process thoroughly the things that you have to be honest about And so lo and behold, I put myself in front of him again. And I said, if you are real, if you really are this father that sees the details in your children, if you really do want to invite some kind of loving relationship between us and you, if you created this world just so that you could have us as a relationship with you to be your sons and daughters, then I need something to show me that you've been watching all this time. Kind of like a Gideon with the fleece. Kind of weak. Kind of pathetic in in some ways, but it was just honest and real. And one thing I do know about our Lord is that he never ever answers anything that's asked authentically. He never um, leaves us standing in an empty space if we're being true and honest with ourselves. And too often I stood in the, the denial of grief itself, even though I was being realistic on the on the circumstances and the facts that I was facing. There was something about actually... Being honest with my own feeling, I was so scared of questioning the goodness of God. I was so scared about blaming him um, that I, I dared not have that conversation with him. I was too worried that in that conversation I would almost curse myself in some random way. But I think the Lord wants to come into those conversations. And so instead of throwing out fleeces or expecting him to show up in ways that we wanted him to show up, I started actually asking questions. And in the moment that I said I need to see the details, that you've seen over my life, if you really are this father. Well, I was in the back of um, my garden one English morning and it was pretty cold and chilly and I was still smoking cigarettes at the time, so I was probably on my third cigarette by this point. And that's another thing about cigarettes was it's a way to stuff down the emotions and the feelings. And... Um, during the funeral of my father, there was some uh, a bouquet of flowers on the top of the coffin and they began to shake very rapidly, about 15 minutes into, this, into the crematorium service. And I thought, well, that's very strange. Partly, part of me wondered whether it was Dad coming out of the coffin, but lo and behold, it was actually a, a small white butterfly that had been sitting in the flowers for that a length of time and had flown up and over our heads and up into the steeple of the church. I thought I was hallucinating, actually, but my friends had started crying at the back and I thought, well, that must have been something. And they all recommend um, they all recognized it as soon as the service was finished. Well, cut to the sort of two years of me navigating. I mean, gosh, let, let's just be honest for a moment. I was navigating everything. I was looking at Buddhism. I was looking at reincarnation until I stood on a stale and thought that could have been my dad. And so I, there were so many things that I tried out, but nothing <laughs> screamed a relationship as intimate as the one between God and us and nothing screamed a more incarnate more beautiful example than Jesus and so no matter what I was feeling about the logistics of the creation of the world it always came back to the kindness of Christ and from that I started watching how often he would refer to his father how often this relationship was everything dictating everything in his every single day and so there I am going, if you really are this father, I need to see the details of my life. I'm on my third cigarette in. I breathe, I exhale, I close my eyes and I feel something on my nose. I open my eyes, it's a white butterfly. Now, regardless of what you think about that, whether you think that was just a pure coincidence for me, I've never had a white butterfly land on my face since <laughs> since then nor before then. But for me, that was a good enough sign that something and someone was watching enough to recognize the moments that are trying to give me some kind of light, some kind of hope, some kind of instigation into there's something better than this. And so it was baby steps coming back into my faith. But honestly, this time was where I was no longer performing the things that I thought the Lord wanted me to say. I was no longer perfecting my arts. I, I was still really badly behaving in certain way, in certain ways, I was very selfish. I, I was, I think I was still living with my boyfriend at the time when I was coming back, starting to come back to church. And um, I was very insecure. I didn't really know how to pray. Um, because I just worked so often on praying the creed or liturgies or I'd had everything scripted. I'd had nothing between me, my own heart and how to actually converse with God. And so I had to practice a bit like I was a four-year-old again. Um, and I known, I knew there were things in my life because I used to dream so much when I was younger. And so one of the things I want to share a little bit is actually what it looks like to love God in grief. And that looks like not blaming him because your theology is all over the shop if you think that he wanted to see this happen. And when I finally started having honest conversations with him, I remember walking on a beach one day and I said, where were you over that time? Why couldn't I hear you? And he said to me, you were so angry that I couldn't get through to you hearing me. And I was so silent because I too was crying into my head. And so... I think you need to understand that if there's anyone that's going through grief right now or has lost someone and you feel like you can't hear from the Lord, I promise you, he's right in this with you. Just as much as Jesus wept with Mary, knowing he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still gave room to grieve over what he died for. And so there's this journey for me that I, just, I, I still break because I'd so blamed the one relationship that was willing to be steadfast and secure in my life. And I'd pushed it away because I believed that this was a vending machine religion that I really just, I just had honestly had come to salvation because it was going to make my life better as if it was going to be easier, as if it was a scapegoat. But honestly, when I started to really commit my life to God, I realized it actually requested a huge amount of sacrifice. It was a real commitment to be a Christian. And I was so glad that I had friends that were starting to sort of call people forward and saving their souls, but at the same time giving them a heads up. By the way, this is a real commitment. This doesn't mean that you're not going to have things that are going to try and steal, kill and destroy you. Because there is absolutely a dark force at play that is wanting to rob things from your life, including those who are very close to you. And so my heart started to change a posture of, this was really painful. I get responses of like, I know, I'm with it. I'm with you too. And there, don't get me wrong. There are moments where the God can intervene and create this amazing supernatural miracles, and we rejoice in His goodness all the time. But there are other questions that we will not get answered this side of heaven. And so I remember once, uh, about a year ago, one of my students, um, he just had the most wonderful face I could he was 19 but I could feel like I could see him at 80 he had this sort of wonderful smile that just lit up and was so happy to see everyone he just lived in this constant overflow because he knew how much he was loved he always just lit up a room he was absolutely one of my favorites and and within about um probably two months of uh, of the school year in which I was his pastor. His father was diagnosed with a brain tumor. We prayed, we contended, we wept, we prayed, we contended, we wept. And we kept on going on and on and on until um, he slowly couldn't even walk and he was just in his bed. And every time his father was praying for other people, he would want to pray for other people because he was having these amazing encounters with the Lord. And every time someone was coming to him for prayer and healing, they'd get healed. But he wasn't. He wasn't reaping the benefits of his own prayer. He wasn't getting the same results in his own life. And now you can understand as a 19-year-old, that's really hard to understand the goodness of God when the one thing that you hold so closely to you is being taken away from you. But I would say this, and I remember having this conversation with him saying, have you lost your hope in our Lord? Because lo and behold, his father did die. And he said, no, because my hope has always been in Jesus and not in the circumstances that I watch around me. It's painful, yes, but he's been so kind in the cold chill of death. And I looked at him with such pride and such, I was in awe of a 38 year old woman that wished she had done the same thing. It didn't mean that he didn't get to cry, it didn't mean that he didn't get to grieve, but because his relationship with God was so much more honest, And he might even have wanted to blame him. He might have wanted to question the goodness of God. But it's so important to continue those conversations with him, not against him, not with other people, but in the secret place that requires you to be as brutally honest as you can possibly be just with yourself, never mind with the Lord. And I would say in those moments when you are at your most raw, your most honest, I can't tell you how breathtaking it is to hear from the Lord on your life. And as as soon as I started to have this happen again in my my own journey, I started to dream again. I started to have visions of what the life was going to be like. How do you want me to start being now, Lord? Because I can't be bitter anymore. I can't live on the coattails of my father as my identity. And he just starts speaking into this stuff all the time. And you know when you're doing the secret place and prayer time, right? Because you're never the same afterwards. You always feel lighter. You feel relieved. If it's just relieved of anything when it comes to grief, then let, hold on to that until it becomes lighter and less burdensome and less heavy. And sometimes people even get nervous about me being vulnerable in a process because I haven't got the victory answer yet. But I'm not too scared of being vulnerable in the process because I can tell you about how the Lord romances me in the middle of it. And I'm not looking for the end result anymore. All I can tell you is how kind he is when I'm grieving. And so part of my heart for you is that you can start being honest with yourself. Sometimes it might be much uglier than you'd hoped it to be. I would come with some sort of Polished performance, as if I was sort of reciting Shakespeare all of a sudden, and I wanted to just um, please him so much that I I didn't allow myself to weep or sweat blood like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And sometimes I would look even over Job, and I'd be looking over where Christ was weeping and just being very honest about his feelings, but never ever at the same time denying the brilliance, the comfort, the truth of what our faith actually responds to. And I have to say, if I'm honest, it, it built a warrior thing in me. It made me want to start running after people who had heart disease on their life. Um, and you would probably find me being the first person, if, if we had a, a word for people with heart disease issues, and people were standing knowing that they had heart disease issues, I would run down the aisles and jumping over chairs ready to pray for that person because I'm very aware that the Lord still turns all bad things good and I've seen too many people get healed of things that we've been robbed of by the things that we lay our hands into pouring our truth and knowing what the Lord is actually on 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 other people's lives. I was robbed of this so I'm owed seven times more what I could have from this. The same with my parents and they struggled to have children for 13 years I pray for so many people uh, to be fertile because I know I have that thing in my life the thing that had to fight through the perseverance of being a warrior like fetus before I was even ever born (laughs) Um, that there's really something glorious in the celebration So the circumstances, and watching again my sweet student that had postured himself so beautifully, that his father had postured himself so beautifully, no longer questioning why is he not, not getting healed, but I've got something that's owed to me because my father always likes to redeem, restore, and transform our cities, our nations. And if we go with the posture of truth over our own lives and it starts in the quiet behind the doors, being brutally honest about what is this looking like, I can always come out. With a vision or the dream, and honestly, for me, I had to start confronting things that I was trying to block out with noise with addiction to cigarettes, <laughs> even though there are some days that I still would love a cigarette but the, re- the reality is I have to um recognize what the, the moments that I want to go out for a cigarette I go, huh, what am I trying to suffocate right now there's something that i 'm trying to suffocate myself with um and I don't mean physically, I just mean emotionally suffocate the things that need to come up and need to be addressed. And many people are so scared to come to the law because they're worried that they're never going to hear anything. And that's exactly the reason why I walked away. But it's not something that needed to happen in order for me to get to this point. And so I'm praying and I'm hoping that anyone is listening to this message that is literally about to walk away from their faith. It's not worth it. It's really not worth losing everything that a faith in Christianity can bring to you. It brings you strength. It brings you courage. It makes us bolder than lions. It makes us noble. It makes us integral. It makes us honest. It makes us kind. If we're doing it right, no matter what our circumstances are, we can still carry out an act in a life of nobility that requires us to go above and beyond what is requested of a normal human being. And there's something in this now and I really feel like 2019 has something for everyone that goes, no matter what we are facing, this, this can be and could be the year of victory. Even this morning, I was in the service at church and uh, Ben Armstrong was giving a prophetic word about the snow falling on Reading um, and how we're about to experience the weightiness of who he is. Well, I think sometimes the weightiness of grief can throw us off the weightiness of what he can do, because we've become so focused on the circumstances or the the factual narrative over our lives. So my heart goes to those that say don't get distracted by the factual narrative over your life. Get distracted by the honesty of your conversations with him in the secret place, and force yourself to sit down in the silence. Make sure that noise is no longer clouding out the thoughts of honesty and raw truth that you and he get to exchange with each other. I've never been closer to my Lord than I have in this particular day because of the amount of conversations that I've had to wrestle with, with myself and the Lord. And instead of turning towards him with anger, I get him to to stand next to me as I look at the circumstance and run after that exact thing. So my prayer, if any of you are going through this, God has been the only steadfast thing in my life. Over all friends, over all circumstances, he's been the only steadfast thing. And I didn't believe in him because he was a crutch for these times. I I believed in him because he would make me do the right thing when I wanted to do the wrong. He would make me take the harder road or give me the strength to take the harder road because it was the right thing, not the easier thing. And so my heart to you is if you're about to walk away from your faith because you've faced so much suffering and so much death, you're about to face the biggest death of all, which was the most meaningful, intimate relationship ever given to you, ever on offer for you. You don't have to take it. And it was really actually honestly a blessing to have someone saying, you don't have to believe in this. But my God, if I could change those years and never have walked out of that hotel after that coffee, Making a decision to be angry for the next two years, I'd do anything in a heartbeat to change that around. Because bitterness only opens to more doors of destruction, of devastation, of bad relationships, of poor choices, of settling for the worst instead of the best. This is an emotional one and I have no funny jokes for you right now. But Maybe that's okay in this time. And um, gosh, it's so worth it. It's so worth sitting in the prayer closet and crying it out. Because I promise you, you'll get some of the most insane encounters, insane visions, glorious, lighthearted feelings all of a sudden. The depression that you might have been facing for so long might just have lifted something you've been carrying for so long. We've been so carrying this burden because we're so scared of actually facing through the pain, but that's all it is. If you're worried about opening a gate and it never closing, I promise you the gate will close and it will close much quicker if you finally face it. So God bless you. I hope this has helped in some way. Make sure you let it out. Don't blame him. Blame the very opposite of him. (laughs) And ask the questions to God that I honestly believe he's not frightened of answering. He's not scared of answering. And be honest with yourself. Above all, be honest with yourself. Lots of love. And I'll speak to you soon.